Welcome to iHope. We're here to bring encouragement and comfort from the Bible so that you can have a more hope-filled life. We are so glad you joined us here today, and we invite you to embark on this journey of discovery of the power of God's Word and how it can shape our lives each day. So listen in and join us as we explore how the Bible can provide hope and direction in our lives. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to I Hope, courtesy of Open Door Baptist Church in Denham Springs, Louisiana. And I'm your host for tonight, Charlie Schaefer, and I just want to say a big old fat welcome to our special guests, the Hamptons. You guys are no strangers to our church family, and you all have the world's greatest Sunday school class, and you're our resident, um, what did I say earlier, you're our resident skit guys, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> Been a while. Um, and so, just as a preframe to let you know where I'm coming to this conversation, I remember um, Brother B, when we were... When I was young and you were younger, um, <laughs> we went out in front of the church and I showed you, or I thought I was showing you, you probably already knew, um, how to kick the soccer ball. And then later you would show me how to throw the, the baseball, which didn't work very well because I'm, I'm still a terrible thrower. And then Ms. Laura, your gumbo is the best. Oh, thank and it, you. It is my favorite. So... Obviously, growing up with you guys kind of in my life and as influences there, that's cool. Now, as a 23-year-old, married for a year this last week, and now with a kid who is about to turn three months old on the 5th, um, marriage is an important part of my life now, and it's become a very big part of my life now. And so I'm trying to learn tonight from you guys, and for our listeners, the theme is the awe of marriage for tonight. And so we're just going to talk a little bit about some things there. Why don't you start us off and kind of tell us your story of how y'all met? That's that's a great thing we like to talk about. And just just to clarify the record a little bit, you picked up throwing the baseball way better than I picked up <laughs> kicking the soccer ball because I'm still not good at soccer. But yeah, we we've been married for it. It was 32 years this past December. Congrats! That's a long time. And, uh, we go to a Sunday school class. We, uh, Charlie mentioned this earlier. We have two married couples Sunday school classes at Open Door Baptist Church, and the one we're in is called the Marriage and Ministry class. But in that class, we have couples who've been married more than 40 years, more than 50 years, even one couple that I'm thinking of more than 60 years, getting right. close to 70 years. So there's a lot of wisdom that we can learn from from the people that we know at church and that are in our class but we did meet at when we were both in college. I was in my third year of undergrad at LSU, and I just about to finish my last semester there. And Laura, you were in your end of my first year, yeah. very end of my first year. And so we met kind of close to the end of the semester. And uh, we, I was out with a, my roommate and a group of my friends. Laura was out with a group of her friends. And we didn't intend to run into each other, but there were some mutual friends within the group. I'm pretty sure he was on a date with one of the girls in that group. He says he wasn't, but anyway, he wasn't on a date with her at the end of the date. Oh, okay. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that, but it was not a date. I can't even remember who the girl might have been because as soon as I saw Laura, every, every, um, every thought of every other girl in the world vanished from my mind. And uh, I only thought about her from that point on. That's but because dramatic. we were from different places. Now, I'm originally from Minden in North Louisiana, and Laura's from Lake Charles. And so at the end of the semester, we went back to our respective homes. 
and this is how long we've been married. There were no cell phones back in those days. This is true. There was no such thing as unlimited minutes. You had to pay for your calls on a phone that was actually connected to a cord that came out of the wall of your house. I learned this week that calling cards existed. And yes. that that's an actual thing. I had one. We needed it very wow. much. And you had to punch in like 15 different numbers and then <laughs> dial the phone number and then you could talk. And that made it cheaper to be able to talk to someone. Did y'all use calling cards? We used, we did. Yeah. So, and all throughout that <laughs> summer, we ran up a tremendous, mm-hmm. tremendously high telephone bills. We did. Which I think I finished paying them off last year. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was kind enough to um, send me a check for half the bill every month when it would come to my house. Sweetheart. I think we had decided since I had the calling card that I would call him. And anyway, it was it was a lot of phone calls. Yeah, and then uh, we wound up. Obviously, I wound up moving to Lake Charles and getting a job there so I could be closer to her. And then we got engaged and wound up getting married in Lake Charles. How long did that last? Like from the first time you met her on your not date date to getting married, how long was that? Let's see, we met in May of 89 and got married in December of 91. So okay. yeah. about two and a half years, yeah. two years, That's something right. like that. Yeah, and so and we look back now and we think of the things that we probably would have done differently because of the situation we were in now in then as opposed to now knowing a lot more now about what the bible says about marriage um, and laura you know not really be even being a christian at that time right when we when we first met well even even after we got married i had not been born again i was not saved i was raised um, catholic but i had not come to saving knowledge of jesus i knew about god i knew he was good i knew god was important i knew he was real but I had not placed my trust in him for salvation. And so when we got married, you know, Bernard, I mean, I want to speak to his complete spiritual condition then, but he had been saved when he was younger, but he was not living for the Lord. I was not living for the Lord. Neither one of us were. And so, um, you know, there's a potential for a little bit of mess when, <laughs> when sure. you have two two people who aren't serving the Lord getting married. But um, shortly after we got engaged and Bernard had moved back to Baton Rouge for um, going going to school, that we we decided, well, if we're going to be married and we're going to one day have a family, we need to go to church. And somehow, I guess Bernard was listening to the Holy Spirit because I um, feel like God led him to a church in Baton Rouge, and he said, this is where we're going to go to church. So. That's where we started going to church, and probably it was about several months. You know, I listened. It was a, it was a doctrinally sound church. It was a great church, a biblical church. Um, every every church service had a, a salvation invitation at the end of it, with a clear presentation of the gospel. Well, um, I didn't. I didn't respond to that. It was confusing to me because of, because of my religious background that I had, and so it was probably two months after we got married. So we had been going to the church four or five months. Probably about two months after we got married, where it really started. I started listening, paying attention more, and thinking that you know maybe this applies to me. Maybe this is something that I need to do. But I really, I really didn't want to. I really didn't want to do that. <laughs> It, you know, it meant yeah. it meant that everything I had believed was wrong or wasn't enough, you know, to be saved. And it just I didn't quite want to take that step. 
but we had um, some very faithful people in that church, and they had a, a visitation program where they would come visit you at your house if you had visited and talk with you and all that. And one night they came because the, the man who came was our Sunday school teacher, and um, he knew that I fried fish on, I think it was Monday nights. So you're known for cooking way back. <laughs> and so he would come, they would come visit us regularly. But but that night they pointedly asked me if, if I knew that I was born again. And um, I did what any person who was not born again would do. I lied. And I said, yep, yep, I got it. I'm, I got it. But when they left, I, I knew I didn't. And um, Bernard was there with me. And it was the beginning of a long night of him just really telling me about God and what salvation was and we had stairs and I would, when I was tired of hearing about it I would run go up the stairs I was like I don't want to hear about it and then go back down the stairs and finally at the end of the night when I when the Holy Spirit had really just convicted me and convinced me of his love and my inadequacy to um, be good enough for God to save me that um, Bernard prayed with me and I got saved that night, and mm. you know it was it was really an awesome step in our marriage. You know, yeah, to have my husband lead me to the Lord. That's what we think about a lot of times. We think about the awe of God in marriage. We look back at those days and we see that God is awesome enough to work in your circumstances and bring people together who otherwise probably didn't belong together. Right. Uh, but do that in such a way that it can bring him glory. I always, Laura always likes to talk about Romans eight twenty eight, but it it talks about how he uses those things yeah. together, so, uses yes. things that you don't necessarily think of as good things, or necessarily things that are that are oriented toward him. He's still working in those circumstances to bring people together who complement each other. And I don't because we're on. We're doing an audio instead of writing this down. I don't mean compliment like the I, the compliment yeah. with the I in it. You have a nice dress on today. I mean people who otherwise are are different but somehow fit together. To complete each other. Exactly. Yeah. That's a that's a good way to say it. That's a good way to say it to complete each other. And um and that really when we when we had tough times after that in our marriage and ups and downs, we would always kind of go back and think about that and. You want to say that verse, or just yes, uh, Romans eight twenty eight is the first verse that I believe uh, that God like showed Himself to me directly. I was trying to reconcile in my mind how how God could take me, use me with my past and sins, and I had heard about the will of God and the perfect will of God, and I knew that I had not gone down that way, and I didn't know how God could. If you go to take too many turns the wrong way, that you're going to be too far out of God's will. And I asked somebody about it. It was my Sunday school teacher, and she said, "Why don't you Why don't you go read the Bible about that?" And hmm. I was like, "The whole thing." That's such a good response. How, how am I gonna How am I gonna find this? And I don't I don't remember how I wound up there, but I wound up at Romans eight twenty eight, and Romans eight twenty eight says, "And we know that all things work together for good." to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. And I felt like I had just I was I had just won a million dollars. I was like, does anybody know about this verse? I need to tell somebody about this verse. This is amazing. This says that all things work together for God, that once you love him and you're called by him, that everything works together for good. And it was a tremendous comfort to me and and remains that way today. And I went back and I told her, I was like, have you ever read this verse? And she's like, 
Yeah. I mean, she had come through Bible college. She had done all that. So it wasn't a surprise to her, but it was great comfort to me. And for her to, you know, encourage me to read my Bible instead of her saying, here, here's a good verse. You know, God yeah. showed himself to me, and it was it was a big part of faith building for me in the beginning. Yeah, and we, we try to tell younger married couples now to think about that early on in the marriage, if you can. Think about maybe some of the reasons because we don't believe God does things accidentally. We believe He brings right. people together into marriage relationships so that they can glorify and serve Him. And so that's one of the things that helped us early on in our marriage. It, it, once we began going to church, we were able and we were blessed to be in churches where they would encourage us to serve and allow us to serve. And so as we began growing and learning more about that, studying more about what the Bible says about marriage, we would start thinking, well, what is marriage really about us enjoying each other yes partly is it really about us helping other people maybe in their marriages yes partly but then we, we i think probably one of the key turning points in our marriage is when we really got a hold of ephesians 5 mm. which is you know probably one of the key chapters in the whole bible about marriage maybe one of the more specific ones and it was ephesians five thirty one says for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. And you can see there the Holy Spirit using the Apostle Paul to pick up on those quotes from the first marriage early in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And then I can remember reading this for the first time and really under, understanding something about it for the first time. Verse 32 says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. And that's the other thing I think about when I think about the awe of marriage. It's how God, way back in Genesis 2, was already fashioning a relationship which would be so prominent in this world and marriage husbands and wives joined together in one flesh and making and designing that relationship to be a picture or an illustration of the gospel of jesus christ because if you go back and read the verses that come before that in ephesians chapter 5 it talks about how the husband is a picture of christ who's the head of the church and how he wins a bride and the bride is a picture of the church who loves and serves her Savior, her Lord, Jesus Christ. And that's that's an awesome thing to think about. I think marriage is wonderful. It makes me happy. It ought to make everybody happy. But it goes beyond happiness, and it's a way to advertise who Jesus is and what God is doing in Christ in this world, which is sometimes a very dark world and an unbelieving world for the most part. But it's a way that anybody who's married can preach the gospel. Yes. If the husband will re accurately reflect Christ and mm -hmm. his love and sacrifice for the church in the way he loves and sacrifices for his wife, and the way the wife can accurately reflect what the church is supposed to be to Jesus, lovingly submissive, following, guiding, ministering to others in his name, it's just a great picture. And that's really one of the most awesome things when you think about the awe of the Lord in marriage is how he designed it to be a picture of the gospel. Yes, and I think his patience with us in um, in getting there is also um, awe-inspiring. You know, he doesn't say, okay, your husband and wife, now you're perfect, because it, it's quite a process of serving. I mean, you're two, two sinners that move into the same place and share a bathroom and a <laughs> kitchen and all chores and money and all those kind of things, and, and yet God allows us to learn and to grow, and he teaches how to be patient with each other. It's 
It's a great classroom. Marriage is a fantastic classroom. <laughs> a you you learn a lot. Yeah. We were um, pretty pretty opposite, I would say, in our um, personalities. Yes. Laura is very outgoing and, and friendly, and she makes friends easily, and she goes around just smiling all the time <laughs> for no reason. And, uh, <laughs> although I have the joy, joy, joy deep in my heart, it doesn't always come out on my face. And I'm not always the most outgoing, extroverted person. And so you would think we might not make that good of a match. But that's what God does. He puts people together who don't seem like they should necessarily go together. And then he makes something awesome. That's true. That's true. Are there there ways that the marriage relationship itself brings more of an awe to God himself? We'll get to marriage in a little bit and principles there. But like... The spiritual side, what does you two being married have to do with your relationship with God? Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I think God intended to happen when He put husbands and wives together in the way they relate to each other to help. You know, the Bible uses that word when it says, husbands, love your wives. It's the Greek word that most people know now is agape love. And it's not the kind of love that we often talk about. We talk about worldly love or just everyday love it's a it's a sacrificial love and so husbands there are being told to love their wives in such a way that they not only care for them they not only protect them those are important and they not only help to sanctify them but they direct them more toward righteousness and that's one of the responsibilities of of husbands and wives have a reciprocal responsibility as helpers Yes, we're supposed to, to help. We're supposed to serve. If you don't have anyone to help, how are you going to be a helper? If you don't have anyone to serve, how are you going to be a servant? And so in marriage, that opportunity is given to you um, for so that you can, again, I think it's a learning curve, learn how God wants you to serve people. And, um, you know, the world... The world does not like words like helper and servant yeah. and serving each other and those kind of things. But in marriage, it's God's ultimate plan for marriage. And so you need to follow God's plan on that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it works better that way. It works so much better. We did find that God was in marriage truly faithful in so many seasons because there are so many seasons in marriage. When you're newlyweds with no kids— whether it be, we, we were about a year with no kids. Y'all were a little less than a year with no kids. So <laughs> we were a lot right, less right. than a year with no kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you have your newlyweds with no kids, and, and that's a season in your life, short mm-hmm. season. And then you have, you know, newlyweds with kids, and then, um, then your finish line is in sight, and you're looking at an empty nest, and then you get one more baby bird in the nest, and... Um, you know, that all through that, in, that God put us together in places um, where He wanted us to be. He had people, places, things lined up for us. In our first church, He had godly examples. Just I feel like He just lovingly just placed us there with people who could teach us what we needed to know. Um, people to minister to us, people to minister that we could minister alongside, people to minister to us um, in difficult times. And he, early on, I think he trained us. To, I feel like he had us in a training program. The first, the first like 10, 11 years yeah. was a, a just training in faithfulness. Just mm. He put just faithful 
people in our lives who just were kept on going and just um and then a little bit later I feel like we were kind of in um training for hands-on ministry at the church we were at then and then and then now you know kind of in perseverance just keep on doing the things that he's given us and to do that together with someone to minister alongside someone is it's a just a tremendous blessing to be able to do that with someone have someone as a, as a partner mm. in life yeah that's uh if you really think about the all of marriage too you think about the responsibility of it right you're given the responsibility by God to manage many things in this world. You manage your time. You're supposed to manage it to the glory of God. You manage your finances or your money, and you're supposed to manage that to the glory of God. Now here you find yourself married, and God's saying, you're married to a Christian lady. That's my daughter. Now you've got the responsibility mm-hmm. of managing her welfare, her well-being, her sometimes her moods, <laughs> sometimes her health and all kinds of other things. And and it's, I always talk about it like balancing the love of God with the fear of God, because really in the Bible, they go together. So God's given me this great gift and I love him for it. But at the same time, I look across the kitchen table or the, the you know, the bed and I see God's daughter there. And if our earthly father is going to hold the young man who marries his daughter accountable if he's being cruel or thoughtless or he's not paying attention enough. How much more will the perfect father, God, hold me accountable for how I treat his daughter that he's entrusted to my care? And so I, I usually tell, I've been telling this a lot lately to younger younger men who are married, and it's it probably is going to not sound like the most exciting thing because it's sort of a grammar lesson. <laughs> Nobody wants to come to church and get a grammar lesson. But if you look at Ephesians five, there are I do. you like that. That's one thing we have in common. We're, we're kind like of our... we're kind of nerds. Make it, make it three tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but there are in Ephesians five there is an indicative and there is an imperative. The indicative says what is. It, it's a declarative statement. Husbands are the head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife. That's something that God has declared to be true. And so here's where a lot of, not a lot, but some marriage teaching kind of misses this point, and therefore a lot of husbands haven't grasped onto this. They hear that the husband is the head of the wife, and they take that as an imperative, what ought to be, or the command rather than indicative. That's good. And if you, if there is an imperative after that, but first, you have to grab a hold of the indicative, because if I'm not being a good head, if I'm not being a God-glorifying, Christ-honoring head of my wife, I'm still the head. And so the question becomes whether I'm going to accept that and admit that and take on the responsibility that God has decreed for that, whether I want it or not, I'm still accountable for it. And it's an awesome responsibility, and it is a great privilege to be the head of a wife, but it is, I'm the head if I'm being very kind, very very loving, very sacrificial, if I'm being attentive, if I'm doing the things that please God. But if I'm absent, if I'm abusive, if I'm not attentive, and if I'm not pleasing God, I'm still the head. It's just that now I'm accountable for that. And so once you realize that indicative, 
Then you look at the imperative and it says, well, now how am I supposed to exercise this headship in a way that will please God and help my wife to grow in Christ's likeness? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's my imperative. That's the only right way to manage the indicative. I don't get out of the indicative if I'm failing to do the imperative. But what great blessings flow if I'm honoring Christ with the indicative and the imperative. Now, there's a flip side to that, too. Wives have an indicative and an imperative, too. Yes, we are We are to honor our husbands. We are to show respect to our husbands. And um, like I said, we don't... Many times women will, will bristle at words like that you're the helper, yeah. that you are to submit. Ver, the verse right before he says that um, was, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's an imperative right there. That is what we are to do. And so um, it's it's in the Bible, so it's okay to say submit. Uh, it's Imagine not a bad that. word, you know. Um, it, back in Genesis, when God created woman, he said she was going to be a, help, a helper, perfectly that's, suited. That's the indicative for wives. For Adam. And um, that... You know, I, I like to say that, you know, being a helper is not bad. If, if you need help with your algebra homework and you get a helper, are you going to get someone who's dumber or smarter than you? You're going to get someone who's smarter. So when God made us as a helper, it's to come along in those weak sides of our spouse, just as our spouses come along and strengthen us and our weaknesses too. But in all seriousness, as a weaker vessel, as a helper, as being submissive to our husbands, this is God's plan. And it's something that, that I think in modern times has become kind of like a bad word or something that people don't want to talk about. You don't want to talk about it um, in front of people who who aren't Christians and who don't know what that means because people tend to get offended by that. But it's all part of God's plan that works together. It works together with what the husband's job is and what, what the wife's job is. And really talking about the all of taking care of someone, the all of God giving someone to take care of me makes me mm. extremely grateful. Um, and then having a husband that is willing to do that also makes me extremely grateful that God would provide protection and provision and ahead in order for our home to run the way that it's supposed to. Yeah, and that's that's a really, really good segue into the idea that wives have that, they have that indicative of being a helper and that's who they are. So you're you're going to help one way or the other. That's what God has decreed for you. you. A wife can help her husband to grow and to be encouraged and to be respected, or she can help him into the poorhouse and help to make him look like a fool in public. You know, that's there's, true. Yeah. there's a the yeah. imperative that and like I said, that segues really good into into the advice you have for wives a lot of times about how they build their house. Hey everybody, it's Charlie, and you already know that we have nothing to sell you. We don't run any ads on our podcast, and the only ask that we could ever have is for you to leave a review, to share, or to rate our show. So this is all because we want to help other Christians have a better relationship with God's Word, and the best way that you can help us with that is just to leave a review. It takes about 10 seconds. You don't have to pause the show or anything, and it costs you nothing. So leave a review. Let's get back to the show. Okay. Um, there's a scripture that I found, um, Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. And 
um, when I found this scripture, I think it was in preparation for a conference or something, but we all talk about influencer is a big, big buzzword these days. Everybody wants to be an influencer. And I think that, you know, what we've just talked about proves that we are influencers in some way in our homes. And specifically for women, this says you can, you can choose to build your home and, or you can choose to pull it down with your own hands. That's a lot of influence in a home for someone to have. And that, that God has given women that ability and that, I guess, power, you know, but kind of powerful to be able to build a home yeah. or to tear it down. And it says it's, wisdom is the key. If, if you're wise, you build your home. And if you're foolish, you pluck it down with your hands. And um, so I, when I was studying this, I, um, I, I did build as an acrostic to just help me remember what I'm supposed to be doing here. And um, so... Then, then there's another scripture that goes with this is Proverbs um, 24, verses 3 and 4. It says, Through wisdom is a house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So as we go through the build, I'm just going to talk about things that help me in marriage. Um, so B is believe believe the word, follow God's plan. If, if the word says helping, submitting, and, you know, that we're the weaker vessel. All the things that, that Bernard just talked about, um, believe that. God said it. It's, it's a plan for us. It's a way to have a successful home, uh, a home that honors God, glorifies God, and really will just work smoother if you, if you do it his way. So believing the Bible is, and what it says about marriage is B. U is for understand, understanding God's power and God's plan. Um, if you look back at Proverbs 24, verse 3, it says, Through wisdom is a house builded. So there's the wisdom, and the house is built. And by understanding, it is established. So if you understand God's, it's hard, it's difficult to understand God's power because it's more than we can imagine. But to understand that God has power and that He has a plan and that His plans are good, that we understand that we can establish, help establish our home. And then I and build is invite him into all areas of your <laughs> That's home. A That's a hard one. You know, when you have people come over to your house, sometimes you'll close off a door and you'll say, oh, don't go in there. It's a mess. You know, don't open that closet door. It's a mess. And but we do that with God sometimes. We're like, God, I don't want you involved in my finances. It's a mess. And God, I don't want you involved in my family relationships. It's a mess. Um I don't want you involved in my communication with my spouse. Just that's, that's our business. Hmm. And, you know, we're called to invite him into all areas of the house, of our home. And that's um, in that verse 4 says, By knowledge shall the chambers be filled with precious and pleasant riches. When God knows us and we know, and we know him and he knows what's in those areas, those rooms can be filled with precious and pleasant riches. Um, how are you going to invite him into those things? Is L, lift up your marriage in prayer. What can you pray about in your marriage? You can pray about everything in your marriage. You can pray about groceries. You can pray about communication. You can pray about, I don't like my spouse today. You can pray about... Um, you guys haven't done that, have you? N- no. <laughs> Not in a while. <laughs> You can pray about what you're scared of. You can pray about your choices, your jobs, your your children, your relationships, your past, your attitudes, addictions, um, 
emotions. You can pray about all those things. Um, and so when you lift up your marriage in prayer, you can invite God into all those areas. And then D in there is uh, do the hard things and build. When you pray, when you um, take, take steps with God to ask him to help you in the, those things, he'll start answering things and you'll start feeling convicted about things and you'll start um, being asked to do the right thing. And the hard, there's hard things. Forgiving in marriage is hard. Sometimes even harder than forgiving is repenting and asking for forgiveness in marriage. Um, asking for help. Being humble instead of being prideful. And not giving up. And just sticking with it no matter what. Knowing that, that this is what God has for you. Um, so that's how you build. You believe, you believe the word. You understand God's power. You invite him into all areas of your home, you lift up your marriage in prayer and you do the hard things. Yep. Mm. That's good. Um, did you have, did you have like kind of an equal for us guys? Yeah. I don't have the nice acrostic like she does. She really, she really hit a home run with that acrostic right there, but I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've just been, to, it, it just to kind of go along with that. I, I think it's important for men to realize that, you know, God has given us that mandate to like, represent him accurately in the world and if we're going to represent him accurately in the world sometimes marriage is the one place where we can learn that truly christ honoring virtue of humility there's there's nobody that can humble you more than your spouse who sees you at your worst who sees you when you're tired who sees you when you're having a bad day and also sees how you handle success you know if you handle success in a way that doesn't glorify christ it's a great blessing to have a wife that can say, you need to settle down. You didn't do anything great. That was the Holy Spirit, not you. And just to have that you know, safe zone yeah. where God can kind of use it like a crucible to work on you and help to sanctify you and smooth off some of those rough edges. I mean, God could sanctify us by humiliating us in front of the whole world every day if he wanted to, but I think he's gracious and kind enough for those of us who are blessed to be gifted with the gift of marriage, to be able to work out a lot of those things within the four walls of the home that he's given us, which spares us a lot of the pain of having it shown to us in a public way. Thankful for and that. You, and you really need to be aware of that and nurture that because God's not obligated to do it. One of the awesome things about God is he allows us to have a hands-on ministry and things. God's omnipotent. You know, what does the Bible say? When, when the Pharisees got proud, Jesus says, call yourself the children of Abraham, I could raise up rocks to do what you do and do it better. <laughs> and so we're not, we're not entitled to this great, joyful thing called marriage, but God graciously gives it to us. He, he holds us accountable, and we need to be wise stewards of it, but we also need to seize hold of the promises of God within our marriages and take advantage of the, of the grace He's shown us. And then share that grace with others. God gives us yes. grace. We want to show grace to others. Yes. Yeah, so many people just influence our lives on um, in our marriage, and whether it was um, we would we would tell people get in church, get in a great married Sunday school class. I learned things about marriage that I had no idea. I was so glad that after I got a big girl job, and everybody was standing around the water cooler just bashing their husbands. Not two weeks later, I went to Sunday school, and my Sunday school teacher said, "Ladies." Be your husband's biggest fan. And when you're in public, 
don't talk bad about him. Handle your mm. stuff at home. Just yeah. things like that to just come against what the world is saying. And so we had we had godly influences but t- like yeah, that. And take advantage of that. If you have the opportunity, go to a good marriage conference and learn. You know, learn from other people who've been married. Laura and I are not marriage experts by any means. We've just experienced a whole lot of grace. Yes. And uh, and but you can learn from that. You can learn, like she said, from a married couple Sunday school class. Uh, most pastors are going to preach on the topic of marriage and family pretty regularly. You need to be there to hear that. Um, if you can find a book that helps to sub, you know, as long as it's a sound biblical principled book to help you with your marriage don't stop just because you hit a milestone and you say well i've been married for 20 years i've been married for 30 years i've got this figured out don't ever don't ever take away don't ever rise up in pride against god he tends to help the humble and he tends to he tends to withhold uh, some of his blessings for those who are proud and so you always want to remain humble in your marriage and just thank god for it have there been books or resources that you individually have seen super helpful? Yeah, there are, there are some that have, that have helped me a good bit. Um, I, there's I can't remember the name of it right now, but I did read a, a what I thought was a good book about marriage uh, by a preacher named John Piper that was very good. Um, uh, I I usually as a as a wedding gift I'll usually give a young lady the power of a praying wife. It's how I learned how to pray for my husband, and it was, it was life changing for me. It appeared to be life changing for him, um, because God, I, I didn't know all the ways that you could pray. You know, besides just, Lord, make him stop this, and Lord, help him do that. You know, it, it was so much more of reading God's word and knowing how you can pray for your marriage. Super helpful. Yeah. Did you remember that book? No, I, I think it's called "When Sinners Say I Do." But now I can't remember the author's name of it right now. If you can, you I'll, can, you can I'll Google put it, it in the and, show notes. and you can, but uh, that was a really good one. Um, I'm just drawing a blank right now. on some of the other ones that I probably have on my bookshelf in my office. Just an observation I made about the way that each of you have talked is when talking about men, the conversation is around how to provide and to be the person who should be providing in the way that God wants to provide. And when talking about ladies, it's all that God has done for me and given to me and helped me to now be a steward of and to pray for and to protect and to build. Mm -hmm. And I think when we see that, like men are supposed to be the provider, not necessarily that you have a bigger paycheck every time, but that you are the one that God is using to lead and women, you are the one who is being led. Um, I think that contrast i just noticed it in the way that each of you talked and i think that that's a a helpful comparison that i think people could use yeah i I agree with that i mean i think that husbands do have that responsibility in the in the relationship of husband and wife which ephesians 5 says is supposed to illustrate or preach the gospel the husband is the one who's the picture of christ the head of the church and the wife is the one who's the picture of the church the bride of christ and so you of all the things you want to do when you're representing something that God has given you, you want to represent Him accurately. Hmm. And sometimes that means taking on the responsibility, like you said, of providing and protecting. And on the wives' part, it means the responsibility, sometimes a difficult responsibility of submitting or getting into a right rank of authority while still actively helping. And so it's a it's a scary thing. I counsel with with wives sometimes who are in very difficult situations whose husbands will not 
accept the indicative of marriage and are sometimes taking the imperative by itself and, and abusing that. And I have to tell the wives that it's a scary thing to trust another human being. And as a woman, it's a scary thing to have to trust a man. But it is never a scary thing to trust the Lord God Almighty. He is trustworthy. And so if you have to put your hope in something, put your hope in God's Word and depend upon His promises. Sometimes He will allow us to go through difficult times in order to get things right. Yes. And sometimes there's suffering involved in that. Two, two sinners get married. They're going to sin against each other. You can't avoid that. But God uses all things. I don't know why He, he, he allows sin, but sometimes He uses that sin. Sometimes mm. He allows things that we think are right that are not really right to occur so that he can use that to make something greater. I don't know, you know, I don't know that anybody would look at our marriage and say, you know, that's that's what we want to emulate. We don't even really advise people to try to emulate us. Mm-hmm. But the fact is one day God's going to get a lot of glory from it and it's going to be like a trophy he puts up in eternity. And he says, look, I took these two wicked people and look what a great thing I did. Yeah. And there'll be angels and saints in heaven praising Him and glorifying Him. And we'll just have the joy of knowing we were a part of it. Every single thing that either of you said has come back to a right view of God. Yes. When you just know who He is, it sets everything else in its perspective Amen. and in the right spot. Yes. yes. And really it's, it's definitely a, a process of learning. So again, be be where you can learn. And be where you can see examples of, of people doing things. Because I know when I got I got saved, I didn't I didn't know if I wanted to become a Christian because I didn't think it would be that fun. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there were people. God put fun people in my path to say like, "Hey, look, this is fun." You know, He meets you where you are, and he want He wants this from you. He's not playing a game of hide and seek. He wants to reveal Himself to you. He wants to show you who he is and what he can do. And um, and when you, the more you seek him, the more you find him. That's true. That's so good. Do you guys have any just direct practical takeaways from now 32 years in marriage that you could share? Yeah, you know, I would say that really you need to, um, you need to talk about the kind of things we're talking about here. We're talking about this in front of what we imagine is an audience, but these things are much more, or maybe not much more, but they're just as important to talk about together. The the best conversations we have in our marriage or the things we've learned from the Bible and that we can share with each other. And a lot of those things we've heard in church or a lot of things that we just learned in our own Bible study, that's the that's the things we like to talk about the best. And that will really help your communication. It's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to be nitpicky and argumentative and overly contentious when you're talking about how good God is with each other. That's mm-hmm. our, fa- our second fa- favorite thing to talk about is funny stuff that happened to us in the past and silly <laughs> stuff that only we can laugh at because we really, yes. you know, kind of those you had to be there things. Yes. But that, you know, the Bible says that don't let your, you know, don't let your prayers be hindered. And I think it's first Peter three, seven, because your joint heirs together of the grace of life. And God binds husbands and wives together into a one flesh relationship, and He sort of gives them, for lack of a better term, inside jokes, or, yeah. or things that are private between them. And these things are very sweet, and they're things that you can draw upon when things are not going so great. Shared experiences, Have fun together, enjoy yes. each other, go on, go on I, trips together, yes. go on vacations together. Let your wife plan it, 
Amen. <laughs> Amen. Because, because it, it won't, it won't, it'll, it'll be fun in the moment if the husband plans it, but it won't necessarily be uh, something that works out well. <laughs> <laughs> Did that happen? I feel like oh, this is a story. I mean, it's not a whole story. It's just kind of a, a theme. Yeah, <laughs> a theme. So a it's theme. not just, a whole story. It's well, just a bunch of stories. Just, just a few. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've wound up stranded in places because I didn't pay attention to how long it took to get somewhere, or we've wound up in places that maybe when they handed us the bill or the check were way less affordable than <laughs> I thought they would be when I planned them out. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I have a very wise wife, so she does a good job at planning things. I like planning vacations. Yeah. Thanks for letting me do that. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> um, to, to loop back, you mentioned mm-hmm. that some of your favorite conversations are around spiritual things. Mm-hmm. Um, let's assume maybe somebody's listening and they want to do that. Maybe their spouse doesn't. Or at least they've never done it. And so there's a huge, big old wall of awkward that they have to climb up. Mm-hmm. And it is embarrassing the whole way. How do you fix that? If you could like take a level zero and turn it into a level 10, how can you do that? Yeah. You want me to? I, I, get, I have okay. a little you, idea. Do it. Go ahead. I'd say a, a lot of times God's placed a desire in our hearts to know him. And so there is a part in us that wants to know him and wants to do those things. So I think a lot of times we're intimidated to think that the other person might not want to do it. And so realize that if, you know, like as a husband, if if the God is telling you, go ahead and pray with your wife tonight, there is probably something inside her that would respond to that in a very Mm -hmm. positive way. Um, And as a wife, if you're, you know, if you feel like I, I want to serve my husband and let him know, you know, that I was praying for him today, there is probably something in him that would respond very positively to that because God created us to do that. So, I mean, I know that, you know, they say husbands, the Bible says that husbands want respect and reverence. And so if, if I said, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you today, I really, I'm praying for you to do a good job because I know that's important to you. Thank you for working for our family. Just something like that that would respond to something that it, God has already placed in that person. I think it would, it's not really as awkward as you think it might be. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, if you look at First Peter 3, and we've been talking a lot about Ephesians 5 and how it talks about marriage, but First Peter 3, 1 through 7 is also a key passage of Scripture on marriage. And it yes. talks about a situation where the wife is saved and she's a christian and we can't really tell for sure but the husband is either in that passage not regenerated not not even saved or he's not very spiritual and so what it says to do there for the wife is to live out her conversation or daily life in the presence of her husband in such a way that he can see that what's really dear to her heart and what really captures her affection is her relationship with christ and when he sees that being lived out on a daily basis and there's my wife reading her Bible. There's my wife going to church. I don't want to go, but she's been doing this now for a long period of time. And she's not badgering me about it necessarily. It does. It just says in there, without a word. If yeah. any obey not the word, they may, yeah. without the word, and she's, you know, She's not harassing me about it. But over mm-hmm. time, we are trusting God. A wife is probably never going to be able to talk her husband into becoming a Christian or becoming spiritual. But the Holy Spirit can do that. Yes. And so the wife is obeying the Spirit's instructions for how to behave in that situation. And it's vice versa. There are some situations where the husband 
has an idea that we need to start serving the Lord. But the wife, like Laura mentioned earlier, maybe the wife thinks, well, if we do that, we're not going to be a very fun couple. We're not going to be hitting happy hour for, te- for tequila shooters if we're in church on Wednesday night. And so the husband has to overcome that. But how does he do that? Does he bang his fist on the table and say, I'm the head of the wife. I know all about the imperative. I don't think that's what the Bible recommends there. I think the Bible says to grab a hold of the indicative, recognize that you are the head of your wife, and to live and advertise a God-pleasing lifestyle saturated in prayer and watch the Holy Spirit work on her as you love and serve her. I don't think wives are unique in this, but wives tend to be won over by sacrificial love. And so if you're sacrificing yourself for your wife, only the most hard-hearted wife would not have her barriers broken down, at least to some extent, by that kind of love and affection, care and self-sacrifice. But yeah, there's no perfect answer for that. I mean, that's a real problem that you have in marriages, and we encounter that where one spouse is trying to do what's right, trying to live for the Lord, the other spouse seems to have no interest in that. And you really, it's the same way when we meet a person, not in our marriage, but just a lost person. You share the gospel with them. You try to invite them to church. You try to convict their conscience by pointing out their sin. But they're resistant. You're pretty much left to praying for them, asking God to do for them what you can't do for them, and just being faithful in their presence in the, in the opportunities he gives you to do that. And yet again, we return to a right view of God. <laughs> Full Sorry. circle. Broken time. record, broken uh, record. No, it's good, though. I think I need to hear this. This is good. Okay. I guess we're kind of nearing the end. Do you have a funny story to share? Well, because talk about which one. I, I don't saw know. in these notes yeah. there were a couple places. The, so. the, the day we met, the, the time we met when I was not on a date, despite your, your belief about that. <laughs> I, I, North Louisiana has a different accent than Lake Charles. Lake Charles is on the border of Louisiana and Texas almost. It's, mm-hmm. it's Cajun, but it's also kind of Texas. But yeah. Laura's family is, is Cajun, and she's pretty Cajun. So my, my North Louisiana accent to her sounded like I talked like Elvis. I think that's one of the reasons she was attracted to me because I kind of I kind of had an Elvis accent, <laughs> which to me was flattering because I liked Elvis. I didn't realize I talked like Elvis, but in our conversation that first time we met, she heard when I said my name was Bernard, being the Cajun that she is, she heard a much more Cajun sounding name. She thought my name was. I didn't think your name was Bertrand. <laughs> I couldn't. I had never met someone named Bernard. I mean, clearly I had heard the name. But I just, I kept, I was talking to you, and then I would go like, wait, what's his name again? Is it Brandon? Is it Bertrand? Is it, oh yeah, it's Bernard. So I kept, and then I told him later that, and he's like, I can't believe you thought my name was Bertrand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, have you met somebody with that name? Well, there's a lot of people with that last name. That's a Cajun French name. That's a Cajun French kind of last name. Okay, well, I feel like that's a fair shot, but I've never, ever met (laughs) anyone even close to to the name name of Bertrand. Oh, the disappointment when I I told her I wasn't really named Bertrand. And I didn't, you know, there's a lot of Cajun stuff I didn't know how to do yet. I've learned since then. And then then there was another funny story is when we, um, the first time we went to the church that would become our church home for the next 10 years. I had, again, had grown up in a Catholic church, much more formal. Well, this was a Baptist church, and I went in, and it's not quiet in there, and there's not candles, and there's not soft music playing. There's 
Miss Rita at the piano playing Let's Have a Revival. There's people walking up to me, shaking my hand, asking me what my name is. I I honestly just just really wanted to get out of there. And um, <laughs> it's funny because Bernard's the one who doesn't like to be around people. He's like, what? What's the matter? I'm like, what are all these? They're supposed to be whispering. We're in church. What are we doing here? And um, anyway... Long story short, that church became our church home for 10 years, and yeah. the people in there became family to us. And now 30 years later, I can't get her to leave church. She's the last one there still <laughs> still talking to everybody, hugging people and shaking hands and doing all the fellowship stuff that used to seem weird. Yes, I think you should. <laughs> it should be done that way. Amen. Bless God. Well, thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. Are there any closing thoughts that y'all have before we go? No, but if it's okay, I, w- I would like to pray for marriages, married couples Absolutely. who may be listening to us, if that's all right. I'll just, yeah, let's do that. I'll just offer a short prayer and ask God to bless us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of marriage. And Father, it is a great, great thing. It brings us much joy. Lord, I know there may be someone listening or there may be several someones listening who may be going through a tough time in their marriage, who maybe has heard some things that they haven't really thought about before, I pray now that you would bless their marriages and whatever you need to do to bring about that blessing, Lord, we trust you to do it. We want our marriages to be accurate in their representation of Jesus Christ and his gospel, his love for the church and the church's responsive love for him. Lord, I pray that as we go through our lives and our daily walk, you would help Laura and I You would help Charlie and Skyler. You would help the other couples in our church family to glorify you with our marriages. Lord, I pray that you'd give us greater joy, that you'd give us greater opportunities for service. And then however we talk, whatever we say, whatever we do, whatever our attitude is, that we would magnify Jesus Christ with all those things. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you've been encouraged by I Hope, why not share it with a friend or leave us a review? Until next week, God bless.